Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, though the grace given to me and everyone who is among you not only think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, all members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually, individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing accordingly, according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in the proportion of our faith, to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in the ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, and he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Brother Dave. Well, thank you, Brian. You're very calm for a man that's getting married so soon. I can't understand why your parents are as relaxed as they are. (laughs) Of course, getting remarried at my age is a nerve-wracking business, so you guys are all right. (laughs) But God is good, and it's a joy to be with you again and to have Jane baptized here in Hollywood. Well, always remember... I remember this place. You, you've heard my stories. My only granddaughter was born when I was coming to Boulevard Bible Chapel ten years ago. I was in Wendy's getting a hamburger. And Vivian's face looked like an angel. And I said, what's up? She said, I just said we got a granddaughter. And now I'm at Boulevard and Jane is getting baptized. It all happens here. <laughs> So that's great. I'll never forget Boulevard, even if you don't invite me to preach. I'll always remember you. Now, i got to get used to this morning. We're doing things a little different for me. I'm used to looking down. I should be looking up anyway. So we got three challenging passages which start with the important word, therefore, the big therefore. And we did 1 Peter 4 this morning, tonight, Romans 12, and then next Sunday in the morning we'll do the race and... Uh, All start with therefore, and they answer this great question, so what? I mean, what are we going to do with all this stuff we're learning about theology and so forth? And of course, tomorrow, next Sunday, I think it's 4 o'clock, the baptism. Is it 4 o'clock? I've figured out where it is on Hollywood Beach. We're going to be there, and there'll be others baptized. You know, if you've never obeyed the Lord in baptism, Jane would love some company. (laughs) It would be great. It's exciting to obey the Lord. Well, here we are, Romans 12. I want to talk tonight, what I hinted at this morning, I want to develop this morning's themes a little bit more, talk more about gifts and serving the Lord effectively. Because that's what we want to do, isn't it? Not serve the Lord half-heartedly, but effectively. Now, you know about the book of Romans. You're well-taught believers. It's a wonderful account of the theology of the gospel. I mean, it's a great book. If you don't know Romans, you get down to it because in this book Paul explains the consequences of humanity's rebellion against God. 
And the central thing he shows us is that, and this is the gospel, this is what we've got to declare, Christ's death for our sins has broken sin's power. It's Christ's death that's made it possible for us to be reconciled with God. Never forget that. That, that is the foundation of everything. And Paul develops that in a wonderful way in his first 11 chapters. He explains how through Christ's death and resurrection the way is opened up for anyone who responds to Christ to live an effective life not dominated by sin anymore but dominated by the Holy Spirit. So you don't have to fulfill these simple desires that lead to the lifestyle that we talked about this morning. It was described in 1 Peter 4. That awful, awful, debasing lifestyle liberated from that. So they all dovetails together, but by the time you reach chapter 12, I mean, Paul's made it clear that the culmination of God's plan is actually to eliminate all evil, to restore Christ's lordship over all creation, over all his rebellious creatures, and he's made it clear that includes calling all men, Jews, Gentiles, and that's what I like about Boulevard. This is more of a multicultural church. You know, I go to some churches and everyone looks like they were born in the same town. And, and I'm thinking, you know, it was Jews and Gentiles, it was every shape and size, and that's what heaven's going to be. Big guys like Brian and little guys like me, all brought together. And Paul says that's what it's about. Uh, so he gets to that important point when he says, okay, we, we have all this theology, and it's so important we have the theology, but now the question, the great truth that Paul is calling us to is to respond. So therefore, so what? What are you going to do with all this? Uh, and, and he does that. Uh, I mean, he's done a masterly account of God's grace to sinners. But now he's saying, well, how does that play out in individual lives? How does it play out in your life? What happens next week? What difference does this gospel, that is such a treasure, make in everyday life? And that's what Paul gets down to. And the first word in the chapter is therefore, and it's important. You see, Paul says, in view of everything that I've written, therefore, he's saying, in view of one thing in particular, God's mercy. He said, he's really saying, because of all I've talked about, because of all God's done for us, I'm urging you to serve the Lord and serve the Lord effectively and wholeheartedly. And our motivation for that is right there in verse 1. It's clarified, we're serving in view of God's mercy. Is that great? Look, because God has been merciful to you, you who were alienated, you without any eternal hope, you show your gratitude to God who shown mercy by making a commitment that God will be pleased with. You know, if you're a Christian, it's hard to say, oh, can't do that. I mean, in view of God's mercy, Paul's saying you make a commitment that leads to service, that's wholehearted service, where you actually humbly and actively use the gifts that God's given you, and He's given you gifts, Use them for the blessing of others and for the glory of God. I want to say one thing. I know it's Sunday night. You've been to church. You're all believers. But I've got to tell you, if you've not experienced God's mercy, 
because you've never realized the position you're in, you're actually alienated from God, you actually deserve his judgment, then I've got to tell you, tonight's talk won't mean anything to you. You see, this stuff that Paul's now saying, it's for the forgiven sinner, it's for the accepted child, it's for the reconciled enemy, it's the one who's felt the great blessing of knowing God's mercy, experiencing his forgiving grace, and he's saying, you're the ones who respond to this appeal to be living sacrifices. Because it's, it's only recipients of God's mercy who are going to respond with gratitude because, of course, they want to please God. Now, i got to tell you, if that's not you, if you've never known a moment where you've experienced God's mercy and forgiving grace, then you think about that. You, you have my permission not to listen to a word I say but to sit and think, do I need God's mercy? Have I ever received it? Because that is the most important thing. I don't usually tell people not li to listen to me, but if you've never received God's mercy, you think about that. You ask for it. That's a starting point. This appeal is in view of God's mercy. But I want to tell you, it's not just about actions. It is about going into action. It is about doing things. But what I like about this chapter is, it's not only what we do it, but it's how we do it. It's about actions and attitude. It's about the way we do things. And Paul gets down to it. He said, look, if you're going to serve the Lord, your attitude matters. And you've got to start with looking at yourself. Paul is making it clear that you have to have a view of yourself that's based on sober judgment. Look what he says in verse 3. He said, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. It's pretty easy to think of yourself more highly as you ought, although some people sadly don't think of themselves positively at all. Uh, and it, it gets us to realize that, that true, spirit-enlightened, sober self-assessment it's a very important skill if you're going to assess your gifts if you're going to serve God effectively a prerequisite is you know who you are you know what your gifts are and you've had a good honest look at yourself and I think a lot of people neglect verse 3 as they plan their lives and so what they finish up with an image of themselves that well, it might be generated more by their longings than the reality of their situation and their giftedness. So it's a very important thing to do. Do it regularly. Don't think because you're a, a mature Christian you shouldn't really look at where you are spiritually. And of course, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need what Paul calls, talks about in this chapter. We need a transformed mind. You can't do this in the energy of, uh, of the flesh, as we say, just with a without any help from the Lord because if you're going to properly assess your gifts you're going to have to take a good, hard, honest look at yourself and that's tough to do uh, you know uh, a lot of us look in the mirror and imagine something that isn't reality <laughs> some of us think we're a lot better than reality this guy has some kind of image that just doesn't bear anything like the truth uh, and there is that tendency, and we all get into this, of, uh, well, this couple's hanging around. She, he, 
the guy gets a reminder that we all need, you know, you're not the center of the universe. He said, well, I am of mine. It's like, you know, I often use Charles Schultz's great Peanuts cartoons. They teach us a lot, but there's Linus. He's reading his, his uh, little um, science book, and it says here that the world revolves around the sun once a year. Well, Lucy said, the world revolves around the sun? <laughs> Are you sure? I thought it revolved around me. <laughs> and that's Lucy. If you know anything about uh, Lucy, you'll know that's the way she saw life. And there are people like that. <laughs> the world revolves around them. Uh, that's one extreme. But there are the other guys who see themselves as worse than they are. This young guy is already seeing themselves as an old man. We, we don't have an honest look at ourselves. Very hard to do, actually. Uh, somebody said to me recently, you know, there are some people who construct sitting down. They're always proud of themselves. And... Uh, well, it's, it's, it, we need to do that honest self-assessment. Um, I got much into North American sport because I grew up with cricket and what we used to call football, you called soccer, uh, and all those uncivilized games. But um, I'm getting into it now with grandchildren. And I was reading in about uh, uh, this guy. Th this guy is a, an athlete that was well known in the mid-90s, 1995, a guy called Dion Sanders. And he signed a multi-million dollar contract to play football for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, and, and he was influenced by the fact that the Cowboys have a star on the helmet. And he said, I always wanted to play for the Dallas Cowboys because I've always been a star. <laughs> now, I believe he was very good. My grandchildren tell me, I think he was a star from what I probably was. From what I, I don't know a lot about the North American football players. So it's okay for him to think that. But that's one thing. If you're a star, you've got to base it on something. I read a Time magazine report recently about a math test given to 13-year-olds in six different countries. Now, I'm reluctant to report this in the United States. It's easier to say in other countries. But I've got to tell you that the South Koreans received the best scores and the Americans received the worst. Now, I, what I want to tell you about is those taking the test were asked to respond to another statement. They were asked to respond to the statement, I'm good at mathematics. Now, only 23% of the Korean students responded positively to that statement, saying they were good at mathematics. That was the lowest percentage of yes responses from any group. The American students, they came in number one with the most yes answers. And so this is what the summary of the study said. It said, American students may not know much math, but they have evidently observed the lessons of the newly fashionable self-esteem curriculum where kids are taught to feel good about themselves, whether they're competent or not. <laughs> I'm only reporting this study. <laughs> but I am not telling you to feel good about what you do, whether you're competent or not. This is not what Paul's saying. Uh, he's saying, assess yourself honestly. Uh, and of course, it's hard to do. It's much easier to criticize others to, than to assess ourselves. And it is a mistake when you're doing this to judge yourself by other people's criticism. What Paul says is, 
do some sober self-reflection based on what God shows you about yourself when you pray. Using God's word as a guide, thoughtfully put the scriptures together with your own experience and think, well, what results are coming from my efforts? I, I used to teach a little bit at Tyndale Seminary in Toronto and uh, talked to one guy well it was a second hand story but I was talking to the homiletics professor and he said he had this guy who said I want to go and be a preacher he said well have you got a gift for preaching he said well my mother thinks I'm a good preacher and the prof thought about it he said well let me put it this way he said when you preach no one has a gift of listening <laughs> when you preach no one has a gift. Now, if I notice too many of dozing off tonight, I'll know this is not my gift. <laughs> they shouldn't be sleeping. Now, sometimes people have to sleep. I'm often struggling with wakefulness this time of the day if you've been working. I understand that. But you see, what I'm saying is if you're assessing your gifts, honesty is an important part of being effective in your service for Christ. And it requires... It requires a lot more than an emotional response. Paul, it requires a use of the mind. And so Paul is saying, think of yourself. Think. I mean, do the homework with sober, balanced judgment. But of course, if you're a Christian, you have to do it with that renewed mind, with a spirit-controlled mind, because you've got to actually think. Not, I said this this morning, not like everybody else. You've got to think with a new a renewed mind. And that's what makes all the difference. You see, if you're going to live like verse 10, verse 2 says, you've got to live God's good and perfect will. God's will is best. God's will is perfect. But you see, if you're going to do that, as I indicated this morning, you've got to think in a different way from your non-Christian friends. Because you have a transformed, you have a renewed mind. You think in a different way. And Paul stresses that. He said, look, You've got to be transformed so you're not making the judgment just like other people would. I mean, the, the reality is every day, if you go out in the workforce, you're in school, you're surrounded by people who have no relationship with God. They're not worried about doing what God wants. They don't think in terms of what does God want me to do when they go through life. But you as a Christian, that's what you think about. They're caught up in the world's way of thinking. And I, Listen, I've got to tell you what the world's way of thinking is like. I didn't have time this morning. Here it is, Ephesians 4. I didn't, wasn't doing this chapter this morning, but listen to this description. This is a New Living Translation. They are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because, well, they close their minds and harden their hearts against it. What a tragic description, you see. How different is your life? As a genuine Christian who's experienced God's mercy and knows the joy of God's saving grace in your life, you're concerned, I mean, you may fail as I do every day, but you're concerned to try to live in a way that pleases God. But that's a huge chance today. Uh, because a transformed mind is really only asking one question. Of all the questions that you could ask about what you're going to do, you're asking, what does God want? 
It's not complicated. What does God want? But it can be tricky. A lot of things why it's not black and white. There's not every situation or encounter just spelt out in the Bible. And the only way you can really accomplish a changing conduct that pleases God is, well, Ephesians 4, that chapter describes a non-Christian way of thinking. It it says in Ephesians 4.23, to be made new in the attitude of your mind. And Scripture says a lot about that. It says... There's a new orientation in your thinking, if you're a Christian, that leads to a new orientation in your behavior and a new ability to please God by doing His will. You can't really please God without the help of the Holy Spirit. I want to say one more thing about, about the attitude of our mind when you're responding to God. And I've got to stress it because before I get into the details about what verses 4 through 8 say about the need to use your gift in serving Christ. It's this. Paul called you to go all in. He said, look, you give your bodies as living sacrifices pleasing to God. What what pleases to God is not a kind of half-hearted business. And notice, it's very important. He said, you give your bodies as living sacrifices pleasing to God. He said, that's your true and proper or reasonable worship. Now, it's very interesting that, that, that it talks about that sacrifice as worship. Paul's saying, worship that pleases God is informed. And it's offered by a Christian who uses her or his mind. And I want to speak a little bit more about worship. You see, worship, which... Some people think it's singing, and some people think it's... Worship is actually a a logical response to everything you understand about God. If if you understand who God is, you're going to respond in worship. And I think this statement here about this being worship is an important statement to guide us because there's a lot of confusion in the church today about the nature of worship. I go into different places and I have friends in different churches and in some churches worship gets confused with a certain style of music. Uh, And they say, let's have a worship time and they sing hymns and they sing different kinds of hymns. Sometimes they're waving their hands like these guys. This is actually in an assembly someplace. I won't tell you where. Well, that's fine. Not a problem if they want to get excited praising the Lord. But see, for them, the worship part of the service it's relegated to the singing time. Uh, and it's often also associated with some unfortunate controversy about the style or the instruments used or, or whether we sing traditional hymns or contemporary songs and choruses. I've been to churches where they've split up over that. You know, whether we have hymns or these new songs that I find hard to sing, but young people are are praising the Lord and I'm happy for that but, but I, I see all too often that, 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 that this kind of idea of this being worship leads to well it leads to disunity and I know that's something that certainly displeases the Lord and I want to say as I look at what Paul says here that true and proper worship is not about styles of music this is an assembly in Australia and the kids are all sitting around the guitar <laughs> yeah that's fine it's great you see, it's not about that. 
I know a church is having a big squabble over whether they should use the organ or the guitar. It's totally relevant, the instrument. And Romans 12 has given us a very important guide when you start discussing worship, and it reminds us two important things. This is not a big talk on worship, but I want to pick up what Paul says about true and proper worship. Number one, he said, in verse one, worship is the way we live. Worship is not just what we do in church on Sunday morning. The morning worship service this morning was wonderful. Of course, you can't remember the Lord in the breaking of bread without responding in thanks, and that's worship. But it's not just what we do on Sunday morning. You see, Paul uses the word body to describe what we're to offer to God in worship. So he's saying, look, it's your whole self. It's not just your words. Worship involves every part of your life and so number two, our corporate worship, of course we do worship in church, and it's very important we do that, but it's got to be informed. And that's the important thing when we're discussing about songs. You see, culture and tradition, and even taste in music, can affect your style of worship. You know, I play in CDs with uh, Jane when we drive and she has a different background for me and I say, oh, I love this song. She says, oh, I don't like this song. And she's struggling with our breaking of bread singing. It's different from what she's used to. These are style things that, 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 you know, that we all like certain kinds of music and we all have certain backgrounds. But what, what we need to understand, this passage makes it clear that God-pleasing worship, however we express it, has got to engage the mind. But there's got to be a logical response, appropriate for rational thinking creatures, so it arises from a proper understanding of God and His truth. It doesn't matter what the tune is, it matters that it's a proper response to God. I, I can't sing, I love trying to sing, and people who see me from a distance think I can sing, but Jane's found to her cost that, <laughs> that it's tough to sing when she's sitting next to me. But I doubt that God really cares how we sing, and as an off-key, tuneless, but enthusiastic singer, I'm glad of that, but I do believe that God is concerned about what we sing. Because, you see, we've got to use sensible words that express something about God and something is revealed in His Word. And I believe that praise and worship that pleases God has to reflect a true understanding of God. So an emotional reaction to a nice tune or music that just gets us excited emotionally, but it bypasses the mind, well, I'm not really criticizing it particularly, but it's not the kind of worship Romans 12 one's calling for. Worship that pleases God and changes our lives, I have to say, engages our mind as well as our heart. That, that we think about what we're singing because it means something important and it's addressed to God. I do want to say that, and I hope you understand where I'm coming from. Uh, and of course, the, the wonderful thing about music and singing as part of our worship it's, and this is why I really like we need to be together to do it uh, and to do it properly and it's when we gather as a body of believers and sing in harmony that, that the heart can be moved and it's actually the corporate aspect of our Christian life when a church gathers a body that's emphasized in the next part of the chapter 
what the next part of the chapter from verse 4 talks about, it says the church is a group, which verse 4 emphasizes has many members who they belong to each other, but this is the important thing. They all have different and distinct functions. That's a very important teaching about the church. And in fact, before I leave the topic of music, as a non-musician, I don't know why you got into music so much, but before I leave the topic of music and thinking, I want to give you a, a musical analogy for what Paul's saying, and that is the orchestra. You see, an orchestra is a group with many members that don't have all the same function. And that's what a church is. It's like that. Now, in a good orchestra, this is a very famous orchestra, but every musician in a good orchestra is gifted but you see, to function effectively, <laughs> they've got to play under the direction of the conductor. You see, the part they play has to be properly coordinated with the part that the others play. Hey, there's a score. And that determines what they play and when they play. And if they don't play together under the direction of the conductor, if they don't pay attention to the score, actually their gift becomes a problem and a hindrance. I mean, no one wants a guy like this in the orchestra, extremely gifted, but he can't, he wants to play the trombone when he feels like it. He can't play the trombone when he feels like it. It's got to be a coordinated effort. You see, I want to say, if you have a gift, people who use their gifts like that are using their gift in a way that can be a nuisance because it spoils what's intended to be a wonderful corporate moving experience and Paul talks about that in other places can't get into it all but you know 1 Corinthians 12 Paul uses the analogy you know talking about music he uses the analogy of a gong a gong he said a gong is an isolated note and if it sounds incessantly it'd drive you crazy if I just played a gong bang 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 tonight you'd be wanting to get out of the place um, and, and, he, and he said look we've got to work together in a kind of coordinated effort. So, hey, maybe you do play the gong. Maybe you play, maybe you play the trombone, but he's saying, you've got to contribute that gift under the direction of the head, the Lord Jesus, to produce the harmony that God desires. And if you watch a big orchestra, there is a moment when the gong comes in, but it's got to come in just at that moment. So it's harmony. I got a little blue worship song that happens to be a favourite of mine. I thought I'd play as a break, mainly to make the point that it starts as a beautiful solo. It's about the Lord Jesus, so I like these songs. It's beautiful Saviour. But you'll notice as a group sings together how how it harmonises in a lovely way. So we'll just play that song a little bit. I'm only playing a bit.
thing, I better cut that there. You get the point, though, about the, the way people blend together. That's using gifts. And we need to learn to do that. And let me say just a few things very quickly now, because time's gone. Remember, a gift is a gift. A gift is... You don't have the right to boast or feel superior because of the gifts you've got. It's something you've received and something to be used. But it's not something you can take credit for. Uh, the main emphasis in this passage is on the use of your gift. I say gifts are not presented like toys to play with. They're tools to be properly used to accomplish something. And that's so important. What, what, what Paul is saying here, just like it matters how you sing, I mean, it matters what you sing, what he's saying here is, in the body, it matters how you exercise your gift. I won't go into a lot of details, but the context is important. He said, this is a gift, you can't boast about it, but it's to be exercised, what does he say in verse 5, in community. He says, in Christ, we're many, but we form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. That's why I like the choir analogy. To be a Christian is to be part of Christ's body, the church, but the local churches, like Boulevard Bible Chapel, every individual local church is part of the universal church, so each local church is an expression of the universal church. There's a big fancy assembly near where I am that preaches. It's a beautiful building. But, but it's not the building. You see, it's, 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 it's just a reminder. that It's hard to imagine a Christian who's a member of the body of Christ, the universal church, who's not a member of a local church. And the call is to, this is my home assembly, 200 years old, that building, in an in a industrial part of Hamilton. Very different kind of church, Bethany Gospel Chapel, but it's a local expression, just like that fancy building of the universal church. And it's so important what Paul is teaching here, that each member belongs to the others. So there's an interdependence. You're not an isolated Christian. I wanted to show you this because you guys don't know the beauty of snow. <laughs> A minus 50 degrees and snow. <laughs> How we enjoy Florida. But i got to tell you, snowflakes are actually... You don't know two snowflakes are the same. I, kid, there's a guy called Humphrey who spent his life photographing snowflakes. Can you believe that? And this is some of his pictures. He never took two the same. They're all unique, just like you are. But I've got to tell you, you don't see these guys much down here. <laughs> it's sticking together that creates new things and great power. And that's the principle. There's no place for a lone ranger Christian in the New Testament. And corporate expression of forgiveness is so important because we're called to be a community. You're part of a body. You can't function. You know, you can't separate from the body or the head and still function. You can't, you can't applaud unless your hands are attached to something. And more importantly, if you don't have connection with the head, you can't do anything. You're looking sleepy. I want you to do something for me. Whittle your toes. Just whittle those toes. I can't see it, but some of you have sandals. I can see your whittling yours. But you can only do that because you're connected to the head. Now, if you're paraplegic, the connection's broken, and of course you can't do that. But, but it's because of that connection to Jesus 
the head of the church and you can only exercise your gift if you stay connected to the head in community but you exercise those gifts as I said like a tool you have a target in mind when you're exercising your gift that target is helping others and glorifying God so I say it's a target it's not a trumpet in hand you can exercise your gift and this is a danger with a, with a preaching gift very dangerous gift because you can draw attention to yourself and, 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 and Paul talks about that we haven't got time to go into these gifts that Paul talks about here uh, but I want you to notice and this is a key thing I'm emphasizing tonight as he gets to verse 8 he talks about different gifts and we'll just have to skip over those he comes back to our attitude the bottom line in verse 8 is how we use the gift we're given and Paul says and I can generalize we haven't time to go into giving and leading and showing mercy these particular examples but Paul says we should exercise these gifts giving, leading, showing mercy but it can be applied across the board generalized to the exercise of other gifts he said you exercise all your gifts and this is the, the bottom line you exercise them with generosity and with diligence and with cheerfulness it matters how you exercise your gift and so as we get close to the end this is a challenge and, and we need to prayerfully make adjustments as the Lord calls us to respond to this because great blessing comes from the exercise of gifts in, in this generous, diligent, cheerful fashion and I think for some of you maybe it's in the area of pride or false humility that you need to make adjustments for others maybe you haven't been exercising your gifts as you should there could be some here have not even discovered the area of giftedness there may be some who've been exercising the gift but not with a good attitude not lacking cheerfulness so let me just finish with what Paul says verse 3 First of all, assess your pride. Don't think more highly. Think with sober judgment. Then, ex uh, then assess your place. You exercise your gift in the church. Well, one body, each belongs to the other. Our pride, sober judgment. Our place in the church. But our performance, do it. But do it with generosity, diligence, and cheerfulness and I'm asking you tonight to, to look at your connection with the head your connection with the Lord Jesus and in his presence and, and you can do it during this week with his direction just ent identify where you need to make adjustments if it's in pride or if it's in place or if it's in performance and, and prayerfully bring yourself before the Lord so that as you move forward in this local church because this local church needs you and it needs you and it needs you as you move forward in this local church you'll be able to serve the wonderful Lord even more effectively because you're exercising your gift exercising it to the full for his glory and for the blessing of the many who will be touched by the ministry of this local church so let's do it we're only channels and it's 7 o'clock. Let's sing a couple of verses about him. 553, channels only. Blessed Master, if I can find a red book. 
5.53 and uh, we'll just sing I hope you know this one you never seem to know the hymns I announced here 5.53 do you know this one? yes Yes. Malcolm knows it we're in business we'll just sing the first and last verses as a prayer Jesus fill now with the spirit hearts of full surrender know that the streams of living water from my inner man may flow remember the bottom line is Whatever you do, you're only a channel. Channels only, blessed master. First and last of 553. Right, okay. Well, don't ask me to start it because I can't. I told you that. All right. First and last. close in prayer quietly and I'll just give a benediction just ask the Lord to help you assess your gift ask him to reveal to you how you can use it better for his glory and really think through these things think about your attitude and your, the place that you exercise your gift and just ask the Lord to help you to generously and diligently and cheerfully serve him so let's have a moment of prayer quietly. Lord, we do ask you to answer these prayers. Thank you for the challenge of your word. Bless this congregation, we pray. May your grace and power be increasingly manifest in Boulevard Bible Chapel. There will be channels, blessed Master, but with all your wondrous power. And now to you, Lord, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to your power, that is at work within us to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever.
Amen.